Brothers and sisters, friends and comrades, this is the PRC Show. I am your host, Paul Cooley, and thank you for listening. Okay, it is currently 77 degrees because it's June, almost July 2014. Um, So it's hot, and it's actually like 10 o'clock at night, and that's how hot it is. So, uh, yeah, it's been a while since uh, I posted a show. Had major computer problems. The heart of my computer sort of died, the hard drive. Got a new one. Everything's working great. Um, But hopefully by the end of the year, I might even build my own computer. On the show today, we have Anthony Faino, May Witt, um, two different guests, uh, but we're going to have a jointed, uh, disjointed <laughs> conversation about careers, um, values, why we choose the careers we choose. Um, w- you'll hear it. It's, it's a little bit all over the place, but I think it's entertaining, maybe even a little educational to make you think. So anyways, um, look forward to that. Okay, marathon update. So it's hot now, so I haven't been running as much, but I know I talked about the marathon. This has been, um, this was the best marathon I ever did. I, yes, thank you. I hear the applauding. And I want to thank um, some of my uh, friends for supporting me. Uh, Harrison uh, Estelle um, and uh, everyone else, my wife and who, who was out there cheering me on um i don't know why i think i you know i ran a ton in march i think i ran over 150 miles that month and i started off slow i kept a nice pace and i did it in 413 so you know i'm not super fast four hours and 13 minutes my previous three marathon times were the first one 427 the second one 422 third one 426 so this one i shaved off 13 minutes uh, which makes me think it is possible to break four hours, which is, you know, 422 is a 10-minute mile. So I don't know what I did, like a four-hour and 40-minute, or nine-hour, nine-minute mile, 940, something like that. Okay, so uh, one more thing about running, because, you know, I ran a marathon, uh, that's impressive, whatever. I went to run the other day, um... And it was a struggle. I I could barely run a 10-minute mile. I don't know if I was bloated. I don't know if there's a temperature. I didn't get enough sleep. But I just tell you that because don't get discouraged. You know, sometimes you're going to be feeling like you can run a marathon or you could feel like you can go far. Um, But, you know, I took a couple days off. I don't know what I had to eat, but uh, I was very slow. What did I do? I wanted to do four miles. I could only do, like, two. Um... But my mileage has been pretty down just because of the weather. And, I, you know, the first week after the marathon, I like to eat a bunch of junk food and kind of take it off. But I ha- take off running. But I haven't uh, really picked it back up. So, um, yeah, keep running. You'll be fine. Okay, I want to talk about... Uh, in this episode, I'm going to have a ton of music playing behind me. So right near you hear me uh, playing uh, blues guitar or whatever. Um... I've just been having some fun recording stuff. Uh, so I hope this doesn't uh, annoy you at all. But just listen to this. This is me. I did this recently. Um, just the drums is like a stock track drums from the program I use. But that's me playing bass and guitar. So listen. Sounds good, I think. I'm not going too wild right here, I guess, but, um, you know, I, I can, I can play guitar pretty well. Okay, um, I'm gonna also, uh, 
play some other music later, but I want to get to some obituaries. <laughs> so I don't want I don't want to bring the show down here, but um, there was two obituaries in the New York Times, June twenty second, twenty fourteen. One by uh, Douglas Martin, and I'm going to talk about him. Well, he wrote the article on Dr. Arnold Relman, ninety one, passed away. Uh, I guess last week. Uh, he was a editor of the New England um, Journal of Medicine, um, which he kind of used, and he was an early and inf- what is this? Early and influential attacks on the profit-driven healthcare system. Um, this guy, awesome. So I feel bad for his family. Ninety-one lived a pretty good, a long life, um, but this guy should be celebrated, and uh, his life should be celebrated. Great American. <laughs> well, I don't know why I said that, but so. Him and his wife, actually, they're both uh, writers of some sort, I guess. Um, well, she was a journalist, too. So is, I, I suppose. Um, they won a Polk Award in 2002 for an article in the New Republic that documented how drug companies invest far more in advertising and lobbying than in research and development. Um, this article by uh, Martin also goes on to say that, uh, like, in 1980, he wrote an essay saying, like, you know, the American healthcare system is uh, more about making money than curing the sick. Now, this is in 1980, um, and he called it the new medical industrial complex, you know, kind of on Dwight Eisenhower's military industrial complex. Um, and he was saying it's not just the drug companies but um, and, the, and the medical suppliers, but this new generation of, uh, quote, Healthcare and medical services, profit-driven hospitals and nursing homes, diagnostic laboratories, home care services, kidney dialysis centers, and other businesses that made up the multi-billion-dollar industry. Um, so he, early critic of uh, what's basically become uh, the profit-driven healthcare that we have today, but you know he he said that a single-payer tax-supported in- insurance system like Medicare should replace the you know the private high overhead insurance companies. Insurance companies, which he called parasites. This guy, I would have loved to have a beer with him. He just sounded like a cool guy. Um, uh, what does he say? Um, oh, he also advocated that doctors be paid a salary rather than a fee for each service performed. You know, that sounds like a good idea. Um, so here's to uh, Dr. Arnold Relman. Great guy. Um, okay, so I read that in the, the New York Times. And I thought, wow, that's that's really cool. This sounds like a cool guy. What's this other? Ob- I usually don't always read the obituaries, but being in healthcare interest and all that stuff, I wanted to read it. Then this other guy, Carlton A. Sherwood. This guy's a reporter. And what grabbed my attention was, okay, the first guy's pretty cool. This guy, he was behind the 2004 Carrie film, John Carrie film. This guy's basically an asshole. I'm sorry he's dead. I'm sure he was. He could have been a nice father maybe he was not an asshole to his family and stuff like that maybe you know we would have talked to sports and had a good time and all that stuff but i mean not not a good track record here so he's a vietnam veteran and he was um okay now this is also a douglas martin uh, article too um so he was behind this uh uh this film that was going to be aired on sinclair broadcasting group uh, in the 2004 election, and it was like uh, basically saying it was, the film was called "Stolen Honor," wounds that never heal, <laughs> and it portrayed uh, Carrie, Vietnam War veteran, and all that, as a traitor, and accused him of making false statements when he said 
at a Senate hearing in, in 1971 that American servicemen had committed atrocities in Vietnam, which they did. My Lai Massacre, more than that, we know about these things, including cutting off ears of the enemy dead. Um, this film also, uh, you know, echoed themes raised during the campaign of the Swift Boat veterans that, you know, Carrie's a liar and he wasn't really a hero. Um, and so, you know, I don't know. I think, shame on this guy for being part of that. Um, now maybe he did some other good journalism. It's unclear to me. I mean, there's some stuff that says he did some decent work, I guess, in Doyle Sound, PA. But anyways, he also wrote a book on Reverend Sun Young Moon, the founder of the Unification Church, titled uh, Inquisition, The Persecution and Prosecution of the Reverend Sun Young Moon. Um, uh, that's interesting to me, I guess. I don't know. Um, well, it's not interesting. That's the guy that runs the Washington Times. Okay. Um, but then, you know, this guy Sherwood was one of the 75 retired military officers who the Pentagon had recruited in 2002, says this article, to appear on television and radio news shows as a, mil as a military analysis, as a military analyst to help sell the wary public on a possible Iraq invasion. Now, has anyone paying attention to what's going on in Iraq right now? Shame on this country. For, for causing that disaster over there. People killing each other. Just a big mess. And um, thanks to Mr. Sherwood, who helped uh, lubricate the wheels of the media, I guess, to sell, sell the public on this terrible idea. So, um, okay. Two different people passed away uh, that are, I don't know, media figures or whatever you want to say. And one good, one bad. I mean, the other guy's bad, but who knows? Maybe he's a great wife and... Would, would have been a great neighbor and stuff and you know you could knock on his door hey do uh, you have any sugar or milk and he would you know be kind and offer you all that stuff so I'm just saying his life's work is not that great but still I hate to denigrate the guy but I, I just did what am I gonna what are you gonna do okay um I do sound pretty jazzed up don't I like I drank a bunch of coffee I think it's because I haven't done a show in a while I just I have so much energy to get out here but um Okay, so I want to talk about <laughs> Ukraine, and um, I have a metal song I wrote. You know, Eastern Europeans, Ukraine, they like their old school heavy metal. And so um, here, the, I, there's no words to it, but I'm just going to play this. I just recorded this on a couple days ago. I'll just record the beginning, and then I'm going to just talk a little bit about Ukraine. Not for more than two or three minutes, so just sit tight. We'll get to the interviews and all that stuff. All right, how do you how do you guys feel about this? It's pretty good, huh? Um, it's called Morally Ambiguous March. <laughs> and since I'm going to talk about the Ukraine, which I am morally ambiguous about, although I'm against uh, any sort of violence, um, I also thought, you know, Eastern Europeans are, you know, a lot of them are stuck in the old heavy metal days. They, you know, they're big fans of metal. You ever seen this uh, movie Anvil? And uh, I, I thought, like, you know, this has, like, a marching sound, uh, military-ish macho anyways so i was talking to my father-in-law about uh the violence in ukraine and you know, all the stuff that's going on over there and he's reading this book which he got me on called savage uh, continent um by this guy what is his name by keith lowe savage continent it's pretty good it's about all the violence that took place in europe after world war ii which there was a lot of a lot of revenge killings 
just a lot of ugly stuff and nobody's good really everyone's pretty much bad so it doesn't pick a side so he was saying you know I don't know Paul when I look at that stuff it just seems to me it's uh it's just like Boris killing Boris <laughs> which I don't know if that's like a racist term I don't really think it is but it is sort of like yeah it's hard to make out I mean it's not like uh it's not like Muslims against uh, Hindus or Christians or black against white it's like what's the deal why are these people killing each other why do they hate each other who knows or they're, they're all in like the same neighborhood or communities but they don't like each other from who, who knows but i mean there is obviously scholars and people study this stuff and i wanted to put a little perspective on this by reading a little bit from an article i read by susan watkins in the new left review and she talks about how uh you know, back in uh, 91, the, uh, Crimea wanted to get rid of, get become independent from Ukraine. And then in 92, they wanted to become uh, independent. They wanted a referendum. Well, uh, Ukraine uh, squashed that. Then they tried in 94. And so it's been an ongoing thing where this isn't just like Russia trying to like, uh, it's not a solely, you know, Russian idea. Um, but she says that... Uh, you know, even the the elections there, the, the, the what do you call it? Not the election, the vote to secede, um, the referendum was uh, the vote was like eighty three percent turnout, ninety five percent in favor of it. That might have not correspond to real figures. Um, nobody disputes that the majority of people there um, would like to uh, want to remain with the Ukraine. That, that's like not controversial, I guess. That's probably why it was sort of the international community didn't throw a fit, I guess, or the U.S. or whatever you want to say. Um, but she says, you know, Moscow's interventions has led to the strengthening of the Ukraine far right. And if you look at this PBS documentary on Frontline, it really shows that like these are like fascist type uh, people there. Um, so this Moscow's actions have strengthened Ukraine's far right and helped shore up the transition government in Kiev, um, even as it implements uh, savage IMF cuts. And, you know, so Putin's really helping the, uh, the opposition, you know. Um, what else do I want to read from this? I just missed the best part of the, the uh, metal song. Well, we'll just replay it. <laughs> It's my show. We will replay the end of that. Let me just say a couple more things. Um, the, uh, okay, what does she say here? Since the breakup of the Soviet Union, Ukraine has come to constitute a latent version of a classic power vacuum. Under the Soviet system, the Ukraine never functioned as a homogeneous state, in part because its key cities were so important to the Soviet Union as a whole. Then she says, like, these cities that I can't pronounce. Donetsk for coal and engineering. Denpropetrovskvisk for missiles. Kharkov for satellites and tanks. Um, and Kiev was uh, itself a vital center for the USSR's high-tech industry. Um, she says, the fragmentation of the country has made possible a political system more open and pluralistic than Russia's as different power blocks combine against each other, but it has also prevented the Ukraine state from achieving much coherence or stability. It is, it is not only weaker than its counterpart in Russia, but still more corrupt, captured by competing billionaires, more corrupt than Russia, that's, you know, um, whose oscillation in power has become the hallmark of its recent history. 
Um, so, you know, and then she talks about how the West and Russia are uh, rival bids to fill the strategic vacuum, but both of them aren't really going to go balls to the wall, really, because uh, the U.S. needs Moscow's assistance on Afghanistan and Iran, and Russia needs, uh, you know, holds uh, power over the international banking system. So, let's hope that uh, cooler heads prevail and, you know, I don't know why I'm talking about Ukraine, it's just something that I, you know, it keeps popping up. Shit's going down in Iraq, I probably shouldn't be talking about that, but that's just too depressing. Okay, let's listen to that heavy metal part again. This is my favorite part. Okay, so this is some pretty cool guitar playing, right? I mean, it sounds nice. I got the wah pedal going. I like it. It's Crybaby 535 wah pedal. Wah wah, whatever you want to call it. Okay, so big news. I was laid off in the ICU for several days. Had to apply. Got a position in the emergency department, which I'm acquiring some new skills, which I do like. Um, one of our guests, by the way, is going to say that. Acquiring new skills. That's the phrase of this episode. <laughs> if you email me, acquiring new skills, which guest says it? I guess there's only two, so makes it easy. But um, I'll tell you what, being laid off really sucks. And, and being a nurse, it's easy to get jobs. I could have probably... You're not really ever worried if you're finding work. It's just what kind of work do you want to do? I don't want to work on a regular nursing floor. But the three main reasons why it was it is not fun... <laughs> It's never fun to be laid off, but I really thought a lot about this because I had two days I was just stewing over it, and my wife was very supportive. She was laid off from her dream job for like a year. It was horrible. Um, well, obviously, the first thing is like, oh, no income. How are we going to pay the rent and pay our bills and keep up this uh, lifestyle? Um, two, it's not of your control. I mean, that's probably the biggest thing. It's like someone saying like there's like this rejection factor of – we don't want you anymore. You're not needed. Even though you build this rapport and these friendships um, and you're doing well, at the end of the day, it's like, well, that does not matter. The numbers say we don't want you here. And as, even though you know that mathematically and you, you understand the rationale, and I do, it still is like a rejection. You're like, well, wh- 
why not? I want to be on the team here. But I think the thing that hurt the most, and I, I don't think I did cry. I might have teared up. I may have teared up. Um, was I worked there for over a year. I started to become friendly. You know, you spend a lot of time at work. That's who you spend, if you think about it, a significant portion of your time with the people you work with. You might not be friends with them, but you have so much common interest, a common shared experience, really. You talk about the different things that's going on there. You have your inside jokes and all that stuff. And it's like you are not going to work with Sally, Jesse, Raphael anymore. Those are three different people that I work with. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, that's the thing that was like, ah, I'm not going to be working with these people anymore. That's, they just took that away from me. And they were upset too. And my, un my old unit is uh, different now. Um, but now I'm with a new group of people. And I tell you what, my new coworkers are very nice. I like it so far. I'm still in orientation. But um, I guess if I'm going to be laid off, that's, if that's the only time I get laid off, and I hope it is, it was, it was a good experience or a little life experience. And, you know, it uh, sucked. It wasn't of my choosing, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Okay, we got to get the letters and sponsors. My God, I'm blathering on here. Okay, we do got a couple letters and... Um, Let's do it. So this letter is from Wauseon, Ohio, and this is Kathleen. She says, Lap, last episode with um, Marina was fantastic. I really did like the contrast between your Bosnian friend and the horse carriage drivers. That said, I don't care for your music or your sponsors, <laughs> but um, could you please give us an update on Marina? Did she make it to Bosnia? Um, yes, she did. She's in Bosnia. She's been there for a couple weeks now, and you can read all about her adventures at titoland2.wordpress.com so that's titoland like t-i-t-o-l-a-n-d t-w-o dot wordpress.com and she's got uh been posting a couple posts a week or so all about her activities so go to titoland2.wordpress.com okay and by the way kathleen i think the podcast is uh the, the music's the best part of the show but anyways um Okay, now this one is from Sandy from Kanab, Utah, which I've been to Kanab, by the way. Uh, maybe I'll interview my friend Dennis about our experience in Kanab some, sometime. Uh, so, Paul, no, <laughs> nobody cares about Eastern or Central Europe, and please make the show a little more lighthearted. My favorite shows are the ones with Josh Ferris and the one you had with Anthony. I listen to your shows religiously, especially when I'm gardening. Please lighten uh, the shows up a bit. Well, I'll tell you what, Sandy. You are in luck today because we have Anthony on the show. Um, and the last one is, you guys are not going to believe this, who this letter's from. Yes, another famous guest. I can't, or not famous guest, a famous listener. Uh, this is uh, Bruce Willis, the actor, musician, singer. Um... He was in, uh, what movies was he in? He was in, um, oh, Die Hard. It's a great one. So anyways, he says, Paul, I listened to a bunch of your shows on a long flight between Los Angeles and New York. That makes sense. That's what he would be doing. Always going back to Los Angeles and New York. Now, that's the cross that they have to bear. All that traveling. Those red eyes, probably. 
I'm sure he doesn't fly coke, so. Excellent show. Um, uh, what does he say here? Uh, the best one was your episode about Nelson Mandela. I actually listened to that episode before I watched the film. Uh, I didn't know anything about Nelson Mandela, so that really helped me uh, before watching the, sh watching the movie. Keep up the good work, and maybe I can come by sometime and uh, do the show. Well, we would be honored, Bruce Willis. I uh, saw something in the tabloids recently about your children uh, when I was in uh, line. So I uh, hope that's going okay. <laughs> okay, well, let's go on to the sponsors now. I'm going to keep the music the same. I like this background music. This was the CEO music I wrote. What the hell did I call it? Oh, uh, CEO background song. <laughs> okay, so this week's sponsor, you know what? Let's change the music, okay? I'm going to change it here. I don't know if this music's any better. I, tell me what you think about this. This this song is called Three Bass Beats. I wrote it, a, whatever, three days ago. Um, I think that hi-hat sound might be annoying or that little snare thing, but uh, this is the new sponsor music, at least for this episode. Okay, the sponsor this week is... Speaking of careers and whatnot, well, we will be speaking about careers, but uh, Morning Glory, a biography of Mary Lou Williams by Linda Dahl. Now, Mary Lou Williams is possibly the greatest jazz pianist of all time. The reason why she does not get that um, label is because she's a woman. <laughs> um, she lived longer than all the other ones, uh, Monk, uh, Bud Powell, um, Fats Waller, I mean, he Art Tatum. Um, she was an arranger, composer. The thing about I like about the thing about her that's pretty cool is she has all kinds of different styles of jazz, like to avant-garde, to swing, to uh, bebop. Um, she's from Pittsburgh, which is cool. Uh, I have not read this book. That's why it's one of our sponsors, and I got it at a used library. Well, a library like uh, Carnegie Library, Pittsburgh Library. Um, they were basically giving books away at one point. That was probably the best part of that song. I'll, I'm going to play it on a loop here. Let me know if you think this is good for the sponsors. But um, So anyways, Mary Lou Williams, Morning Glory, a biography of Mary Lou Williams. Uh, pick it up at your lo local used bookstore or check it out at the library. Um, maybe I'll read this and uh, I'll get back to you on it. So... Okay. Okay. I want to say this. We're going to have a song here <laughs> that's going to upset people because it's going to be a little heavy. But we have a musical break. Then we're going to get to the conversations with um, Anthony and uh, May. But this is one of my favorite metal songs. It's In Flames. It is going to knock your socks off. Okay. So it's just a nice, heavy, melodic, a lot of cool guitar playing. The only problem with this song is no really guitar solo. But I'll tell you what, you put this in your iPod, you go running, you're going to think someone's chasing you with a hacksaw. Three, two, one.
Okay, I apologize if nobody likes that song. That was Take This Life by In Flames off their 2006 album, Come Clarity. Great song. One of my favorite songs. I love to run to that. Uh, I think it's one of the best metal songs of all time. Yeah, that's right. I really like that song. Um, okay, so you know what? I know it's a little heavy, but uh, we'll play something softer next time. All right, we're going to have a couple conversations here under the loose topic of careers and what makes us choose them, um, our values or our interests, um, or is it something else? (laughs) At least that's the theme I'm crowbarring into this episode. I have uh, two interviews, one with Anthony Faino and uh, one with uh, journalist Mae Witt. Um, And it's kind of under like, you know, do our values dictate what career we're going to choose or is it more our interests? Um, And the first conversation with, before I say that, this is all basically predicated on a position of privilege being like middle class college educated uh, folks. You know, if you don't have the opportunity to kind of, you just have to take a job, you have to take a job and your values and your interests kind of go out the window. So um, anyways. First conversations with our, my friend Anthony Faino, who's an architect. I've known him for a long time. Super bright, funny guy. Uh, I think the show I, he was on previously was my favorite one to do, uh, to listen to at least. And listening to this recently, he's funny and um, he's this is a great, great conversation. Um, I recorded this like a year ago, so the whole career of values, self-interest, uh, whatever theme that I'm putting this under was not even thought about then, um, and. You know, he's an architect. I'm super proud of him for going to school to do that. That is, like, really hard to do. Master's degree. Um, and you're, you'll hear him talk. He, he, this is something he's really into. Anyways, the other person I have on here is Mae Witt, a little less sure of her pursuits, I guess you'd say. You'll hear it. She's a journalist. That conversation gets a little cloudy. I first talked to her about nuns. Yeah, just hold on. Listen. I talk about nuns. I work at a Catholic hospital, and you'll see where that starts and whatever. And then uh, career choices, and um, it's an interesting conversation. I wish I would have pushed a little more. We'll probably have her back on if she's willing to come back on to clarify some things, but who knows. And uh, more importantly, I hope you enjoy the music behind some of these conversations, because I've been making some new music, and... Honestly, that's the whole point of this show, is to just uh, have background music and music to play and have some words people talking over top of is fun, but I just like to make the music. So, okay, on to our conversation with uh, Anthony. Do you not like the sound of your own voice? No, I don't even know it's me talking. Like trying to listen to this guy talking, and I stopped talking to listen to the guy. So it, it sounds like uh, someone else. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like another person. Okay. So we have Anthony Faino here, and um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, you like build things, right? Yeah. Or yeah, design things. things. What would you say you do? I do both. I design things and build things. The shop I work at, I do a lot of building, and really assist in the design of stuff. The two guys I work for do most of the actual design. So I'm just there doing drawings and some detail stuff for the projects. Did you, And you went to uh, school for this, right? 
I went to school for architecture. So I'm using a lot of the software and those type of skills that I learned at the school for architecture, but not in architectural building drawings. Right. Like your dream job, like my dream job would be um, probably like Major League Baseball player or rock star or something like that. Um, uh, which, I mean, that's a little silly, but it's honest. What would your, you know, you went, or no, historian, maybe. What would your sort of dream architecture job, if you had, like, you know, what would you like to be doing? I think it'd be similar to what I'm doing now, but it would be more architectural. We do a lot of work with architects and interior designers, and we're starting to get some more interior architecture projects. Do you, is that bigger? Is that like, what, when you say architecture, like, like I, explain the difference. Right now we do, for the past year, they've been doing strictly furniture. Uh -huh. Like, w you know, an object in some undefined space. Yeah. And we're beginning to do, like, the actual space. Designing the space, you know, working with okay. the walls and uh, the whole like shelving and in addition to furniture. Yeah. So if in that direction, a little further to do like, you know, doing renovations of old buildings would be like modern oh, okay. rehabilitations of old buildings. That would be something you'd really be into. Like take yeah. an old building. Like um, Now, where did this come from? Did this come from uh, Bob Vila maybe when you I were mean, younger? I think, I don't know how anyone in architecture today can be in architecture and not cite Bob Vila as some serious influence okay. on their life. Okay. I mean... Um, this old house, and then there Absolutely. was. Absolutely, I mean, look <laughs> at the, if you if you go to any architecture school, you will see a, just an enormous amount of beards that come straight out of like. Now, babies. isn't it? No, no, I know you're being funny now. Is is he mocked though in the um, is he mocked in the in the schools or what was he? He has zero presence zero. in architecture schools, unfortunately. That but you know what? This is a revelation. I would think that he would be at least mocked, or people would reference him to some degree. No, not even. He's like a non-entity. Actually, the people I work for now, they they love this old house. All those PBS shows. Yeah. Well, do you remember the show, um, the guy that would make stuff with like old tools? Oh yeah, I watch him today still. <laughs> he's a goofball. Yeah, and um, I would watch that show as a young kid, and I would think, you know, why don't you just use a tool that has electricity? I mean, that's <laughs> it seems like it's going to take you a lot longer to make that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And wh why does why is that show fascinating, and why, what's the deal with that? Well, I think the show is fascinating because, well, he's kind of crazy. He's like a happy-go-lucky guy, right? Yeah, and I mean, he's, he's just like... You know, clearly on cocaine or something. I mean, I'm not sure if, I, if he is, or I don't know, just... I think he's probably... I mean, he's probably just playing a character. He's probably a bitter coke addict You're probably... Yeah, he probably... Yeah, that's probably true. But... Yeah, I mean, some of the things when you're actually, it's interesting to see. It's like, you know, you're grinding coffee with a grinder, right? It's like, yeah. You know, yeah. seeing how these things are done so simply, like understanding how one thing becomes another. Yeah, that's kind of cool. I mean, you, you know, when you have like, you know, right now for one of our projects, we use a CNC router. I mean, all I do is put some drawings I made in a computer into another computer and press a button and the things come out. Okay. So there's okay. certain appeal to that. I mean, I'd have no interest in buying any of those tools and doing that way myself, right. but it's kind of like. Now, is there a, there's like a nostalgia for that that d wouldn't some people like he does, does this guy sort of argue in that show that you know those things are actually a better quality like because they're built by hand and it's you know it's using the more physics of uh, building that it's better than the 
way things are made today or yeah i think a lot of those guys seem to think that it's a lot it's better it's more like sturdy closer to the wood like the stuff the stuff that he does it uses like the natural properties of the wood right like, like so you like don't need glue you don't need it's just like joints or maybe you don't need i don't know you yeah don't i mean like you know the, he, he'll probably use, he uses glue i'm sure but like yeah. it, it, everything goes with the you know with the grain there's less the direction there's of the grain, like, you know, there's yeah. More concern for going, you know, using the natural properties of the wood, like the directionality of the structure, and yeah, than it would be to just like create a shape. Like the wood is more important than the object that that's created with the wood. Now, when um, so I find it interesting that no, let me go back here. So when you were uh, growing up, were you sort of interested in being like uh, somebody that builds things or architecture, like when you were younger? Yeah, yeah, I've always wanted to be an architect. Like since I was like nine or something. No kidding. Now, um, where where do you think that came from? Was it? I mean, Bob Vila obviously wasn't that. But you, did you really watch that guy making the old stuff like that? Like no, I that? actually just started watching him a few years ago. I watched some of the wood stuff, but I somehow missed him for a long mm -hmm. time. Um, I never really liked this old house until recently. I mean, I never. My parents used to watch it all the time, and I just yeah. thought it was silly. But yeah, yeah. Um. The one thing I remember is in third grade. You're going to say Legos, but no, I didn't want to. Sorry, interrupting you. Oh, Legos, yeah. Legos, a yeah. Richter set. I had yeah. those things. Okay. But there are two like things that I remember I even referenced in like my in some essay I wrote for architecture getting into school. One was like an architect coming into our third grade class and had these little felt stickers on a board that we would use to design a building. Oh, okay. And we all, everyone loved that. I think I was the only one that decided to make that felt game my career. But yeah. Um, and there was a, a Frank Lloyd Wright book on falling water in a, like a men's clothing store that I was with my dad in. Oh, wow. And I was like And you're like, whoa, something. this is cool. Like, what the hell? This is a, someone built a house here. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure they're just. How old were you then, you said? I don't know, six or seven or something. Oh, probably really? Probably older than that. I mean, it seems so long ago. I was probably closer to nine or ten. Yeah. But. I'm sure I had some sort of inclination toward those things anyway, and those are just the most memorable moments. Have you um, been to Falling Water? Yeah, I've been there twice. What do, you, what do you think of it? I think it's great. I mean, I think it's, you know, a nice little, I think it's very dismissive, but no, it's great. Yeah. No, I, I, mean, the, the, I read, um, actually, a Pitt professor in art history, um, Frank Toker, wrote a book on falling water and, and the relationship with uh, Edgar Kaufman, the the department store guy who commissioned it. Mm -hmm. And it's... Oh, Kaufman's like Kaufman's store? Is he the... Yeah. Oh, okay. I used to work at Kaufman's. I hated it. <laughs> I worked <laughs> in the Christmas... I worked what in the Christmas... you do? I worked in the Christmas department, and um, all I heard <laughs> was Rock and Santa. Um, I worked there in, like, November and December. Were you, like, trying, like, on the floor talking to customers? <laughs> yeah, I sold things, and... Um, you know, I sold like I said, snow babies and Christmas things, and um, they were they put me in the Christmas department, except for a couple times where I'd go to the women's juniors, where young women would just throw clothes all over the place, and I had to fold them, which I didn't know how to fold my own laundry, let alone uh, women's clothing. Now, did they send you to young juniors, or you just go to? The no, I was like a section? float, but I always got floated to Christmas department because everybody hated that, and um, I just remember the Rock and Santa. It was like a thing, and everybody wanted them, and they were on like layaway. People had them on uh, back order, yeah. and um, I remember one time there was just like a bunch of them behind the 
ca- the cash register, and I was just like, yeah, we have them right here, but they had, like, people's names on them because, like, people ordered them, and then, like, people came in, like, um, Sally called me, my rock and sand is here. Um, they said it was behind the register, and I was like, uh, yeah, I sold that probably two hours ago, so I just, like, had to make up some lies. So yeah. that was a horrible job. But anyways, back to, um, okay, the coffin history. Yeah. I mean, there was so much involved in it that you really can begin to read a lot of, you know, the process and That's Frank Lloyd Wright in the building. And, I mean, for that building specifically, I know a lot about it. So, you know, my feelings toward that building are influenced by that a lot. Why did he Kaufman build it there again? Like, that's a weird location, isn't it? Like, Yeah, I forget. Rich re- guy. Exactly. I mean, he had, there was a house there before. Was it Wright's idea or Kaufman's idea? Over the river specifically was um, Wright's idea. Oh, uh, okay, okay. He wanted it right over the over the river, and it was pretty much him that led it to be it being there. There's a lot of things about it that are just like totally unreasonable. Like some of the the can, you know the cantilevers obviously are ridiculous, and the top the terrace off the one of the bedrooms is obscenely long just to. What do you mean you unreasonable? Know, like, like the cantilever. It's just, I mean, they, that's what it, I went there a while ago, and they were fixing the cantilever because it was too far. It was too uh, much of the concrete slab. It's gonna was, fall was at some not point. Not supported. Yeah, like so they had to post. They had to post tension it with a bunch of steel cables. And now, isn't that sort of uh, an indictment against Frank Lloyd Wright in a way? Well, I think that's part of like what makes the building so interesting. It's taken on study. like a. It's taken on like a. Lore it's like, yeah, I mean, yeah. how much of that of those more functional aspects of architecture um how like how badly can a building perform and still be a good building it's like a lo- you know the question with a lot of these not just this one but you know any great architectural building that might he's not like function perfectly yeah cuz he uh, he was like pushing it th- to the limit there yeah, yeah and at the time it was pr- it was uh it was probably safer cuz it was new but as the you know, the time rolls on, there's a danger of that thing kind of collapsing, the, ca- the cantilever part yeah. at least. Um, and wasn't isn't there like issues with like mold and stuff there? Because like you always water running through your house. So I'm sure there has deal, to be. You know, I just remember going there and thinking like, um, well the furniture is very IKEA like, or, or whatever the style. It had like a very, uh, you know, kind of a unique uh, certain type of. Um, time period, I guess. I guess that's from when it was, but which, which was modern back then, but now that's uh, that's kind of like fashion has come back. So, um, you know, I think about when I build things, um, or when I do anything constructive, I come away with such a sense of accomplishment, and I'm so proud of myself. I have to I have to get my wife and anybody, I have, to pr- I have to show them, look what I built. Like, I really need a lot of adulation. And I, I'm not that good with my hands. So, like, when I put, like, a shelf up, I'll tell people I have this little shelf in my, my bedroom, which is almost going to fall apart. So, I, I don't, I don't want to show you that. But, um, but do you get a real great sense of, like, uh, oh, like, I made this. Like, this is something that I did. It's pretty cool. Like, it's, like, almost like a trophy. Yeah, I think I've only been at this job about six months, five mm-hmm. months. And this is the first job where I've been, you know, the only one doing work on specific projects, like some of the metal mm-hmm. bases for tables and stuff like that. So I'm still at this point where I see something that I've done. Yeah, yeah. And it, I mean, the specific way that it went together is probably totally new to me as, like, a whole mm-hmm. system of metal coming together. Yeah. I mean, before, for a long time, I kind of got 
pretty indifferent to what I was creating just because it was stuff that I had done before when I worked at the university and yeah when uh, stuff like that. Well, what do you mean? Like you were more of a cog in a in the process? Well, I mean, I was doing a lot of the work, but it was all. It wasn't really design work. It was just a lot of like functional creation stuff. That like, I, give I an example to, of that. Like, I would build. I would just like put shelves in a classroom, or uh -huh. um, they had some cubicle walls that need to go up, and I need to figure out a way to attach them to the wall because they weren't meant to attach to a wall. And oh, okay. And then I would build. Some so other that stuff there's some the satisfaction there, but it's more just like. Yeah, and by the I I did that for like two and a half years. So by the time I finished there, I'd done pretty much everything I had done before. Mm -hmm. So that sort of satisfaction. And then the hassle of trying to do this stuff in a university kind of sapped a lot of the enjoyment out of it. Why? What was the... Well, well, first of all, I'd be doing things alone. They could never get the money to get me someone to help. And be like, can someone just hold this thing here? I need yeah, just like another <laughs> set of hands. Yeah, just like just holding up a piece of wood while I you know, put a screw into it. Yeah, yeah. And... Um, you know, funding was always do was always a problem, so we they'd push it off until the last possible moment. You were you were doing a lot of that stuff, like basically for for the university on the cheap, kind of. Yeah, everything I did, like they're getting had to be real done good really deal. cheaply, and they would wait as long as possible to make sure that things that were more important were done first. So I would have like two weeks to do a project that had to be done, and maybe would have taken like four weeks in another environment. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, w were you a master Lego person? Because I, I remember playing with um, Legos as a young kid, and um, you, I'd have friends, you know, we'd play with them, and you could always tell, like, I don't want to say they were dumber, but, like, you could, like, some people would just, like, make a box or something, yeah. you know, and mm -hmm. I would try to make it a little bit more interesting. Yeah. And I would, you know, at a young age, I'd j I'm like, really? Adam, you're just going to make, like, a box and well, put wheels on it? they just like to it. put the different color pieces together. They like or the they, they, I want it all blue. Well, or, those you are the know. worst ones. They're yeah. not creative, and they don't even like. Yeah, so did, did, did um, uh-oh, who is that? I don't know who that is. Okay. Probably. Somebody, uh, is that, yeah. Don't worry about it. Okay. Okay, but, like, you know, um, were you shining, were you, like, a you know, were you making kind of interesting Lego things, and do you have any pictures of those? I don't. And, and like, were your parents like, oh, look at the Lego well, what it, we had it, we didn't have that many like loose Legos, like just generic Lego pieces. I wish we had more of them, because my parents would buy me like the sets with like a little plan to do something. Oh, and I would, yeah. I would do those things really quickly when I got them, and then I'd be so you know obsessed with keeping them perfect. I oh, would never touch them. It, yeah, like, they would never. I mean, they would be lost, or they would stay. Like, See, perfect. Yeah, yeah. So I never had little pieces to play with because I would never like. Borrow a piece from. I uh, see. I you would have loved then my house. We had just a big box mm -hmm. of Legos, and it was just a hodgepodge. My parents. I would have loved if they would have bought me a set that I could complete because my dad would he would outshine me, which was upsetting. He would make something. I'm like, why can't I do that? And he'd be like, you're still good, son. But like, I, we would build houses, and he actually built um, the deck on the back of my uh, house with Legos. Or, yeah, he did a practice. He's like, this is what it's going to look like. I was oh, like, whoa. Now it wasn't to scale. Oh. Well, but yeah, I mean, I the way you looked at me, you know, oh, no, well, that was that's what I was, I was imagining. No, he he like. made he made a model of it, but um, yeah, I just remember. Uh, ma did you make like Lego cars and you'd smash them into each other, or no? You were more. It seems like you're more solid. Yeah, I, w I would do. Th I would just play around with Legos. Yeah. I had friends who just had big buckets of Legos. So I yeah, we would do whatever. And would you outshine them in the Lego building? I wouldn't say that. I mean, I think w most of what we, if we were if I was doing Legos with somebody else, we were doing 
the com- same thing. Com- cards, like, it yeah, was sort yeah. of like we were working together to do something. And the erector said, I got one of those. I didn't. I felt like that was for more of like the older kid than a Legos, maybe. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't like it. I didn't as follow much. through with the erector set so much because yeah. it was like, I did it once, like, oh, I can do this. And I also thought I didn't like. Things. I don't like the word erector. When I finally made that connection, like you know, like yeah, that's, that, was, that association happened. Yeah, and killed I, it for me. And I, it was something that I'll tell you what I was like. I'm too old to be playing with an erector set. It just it was, it was like this is embarrassing. Yeah. Um, Cause you, you say like. We'll put my erector set and like, I bet you'll erect her set. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, I just, uh, you know, I don't know, I might have been 19 or 20 at the time, but it was, <laughs> it was <laughs> I don't think I was that old, but yeah, I, I, you know, I remember asking for that for Christmas, and I was like, this is ridiculous. Yeah, it was a little too much work, I mean, it wasn't like you just snapped things together, you had to like, actually yeah, yeah. take the time, it was like, oh. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You don't see any movies about erector sets or game, game, um, video games. You see the the movies about uh, Legos. So, okay, now we're gonna get on the conversation with uh, May, and I'm gonna talk to her about nuns. Um, she's more of a sounding board. So, yeah, I talk over people. I'm sorry. I'm working on that. Um, and uh, okay. Oh, okay, so this whole thing uh, with uh, Catholicism recently has uh, been a little bit on my mind because of a couple of things. I work at a Catholic uh, church. God forbid. No, I don't want to work at a church. Oh, my God. I work at a uh, Catholic hospital. And, um, you know, I there's a couple nuns there that I'm now working with. And Are I'm they s- doctors? Are they nurses? They are nurses. And I'll tell you what. May... I was so worried about working. I, I'm, I work in the hospital there, and I got transferred to a new position, and I was so worried about working with this one nun that I was going to orient with. I was like, oh, my God, she's going to be very pious. Is that the right word? Can sure. Be, yeah. like she's going to be very holy, and, you know, she was actually a little bit sarcastic, uh, funny, me, very easygoing. She's probably a couple years younger than me. Nuns are... Nuns are freaking awesome. Yeah, okay, well, hold on. Uh-oh. So I like hold this on, awesome sister. because she is. A, she was pretty cool, and then I started to get my mind just starts racing, and I get upset, and mm-hmm. I think to myself, "Why is this person a nun? This is a good person. Why is she doing this?" Yeah. And I have a lot of problems with. Um, uh, it's a little conflicted. So, um, okay. Why is nuns off? Why are nuns awesome? That's a good question. I mean, you just said that just to be funny, or do you think? No, no, no. I think that nuns. My wife are, are among the, the more subversive. I, I think I think nuns, because they are not empowered by the church to have much of a say in the direction of the institution yeah. of the Catholic Church, they are in a position to be a little subversive with the with the powers they do have. I mean, they are like they are like the badasses of the clergy. Yeah, and they've they've been getting in trouble for that, and they've been having some of their um, uh, their powers taken taken away. And the previous pope or whatever the the authorities have been saying, you need to stop focusing on uh, social justice issues and need to stick to doing what we tell you, type of thing. Yeah. Um, but my problem is 
this is like a good person that I, she, she said something, I actually, so I like uh, internet stalked her, and I saw some stuff she wrote online and said oh, like, no. when I was a kid, I thought I would be, you know, have a husband and have children, but I was moved to the calling, and, um, and so she joined up, and now she's, she's, you know, lives at this nunnery that's part of the hospital, and they're like these older women, I mean like, very old. Oh, how old is this woman you work oh, with? Oh, probably 29. No. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How did they get her? They are so lucky. I know. And, and, and the thing that I, the thing that upsets me is, well, I see that it's on two different levels because one, I just think I'm not a spiritual person. I'm not a religious person. So any sort of um, falling into uh, mysticism and magic and superstition to me is weird. But this particular institution is very bad, in my opinion, with all the uh, pedophile cover-up, all that stuff, particularly the subjugation of women, not ordaining women. It's very sexist. Um, women, nuns can be, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it? But nurses, but uh, I've never heard of a nun physician. Maybe there are some. But, you know, um, they just have a very minimalized, marginalized role in uh, the church. And how can somebody... At the age of 29 or 30, I don't know, maybe she's 30. She's somewhere in the age between 33 and 26, to be honest. I can't even tell. Um, she's one of those backward Benjamin Button nuns. Yeah, she goes yeah backwards. maybe <laughs> she is, yeah. Um, but why would somebody... Don't you think there's something... Okay, here's where my mind goes. Something may have happened to her that only... Something so disturbing that she had to like remove herself from society and kind of be in this very safe closed uh, even though she's very outgoing when you meet her do, do you think that's a possibility or almost overwhelmingly that's a possibility because i don't nobody... think it's i don't think it's overwhelmingly likely i think it's a possibility just as it's possible that i'm reporting right now because something awful happened to me but i don't yeah. think it's any more you know like yeah I, I mean you don't think it's strange for someone to go into this celibacy not even the celibacy part you could be single and not have a sexual activity and, and not have to join a church, but to um, to uh, live in this charity—well, not the charity, but like you've given up all your freedoms. You're giving up so much freedom for a religion that is in this in the year 2014, whatever it was when she joined up 2005. This wasn't like every uh, mm -hmm. fifth kid in the 1950s was going to become a nun or a, or a priest. Yeah, and it's not as if you're pursuing more opportunity necessarily if you go, you know, you see, you saw a lot of a lot of priests who are like in their 50s now or in their 60s now. They're there because they could pursue more opportunities by entering the priesthood. Right. And nuns, it's the same way, but it's really not that way anymore. Oftentimes, you're not, you're not more likely to get an education all the time by entering the clergy. I agree with you there. That said... Were you done? No. Okay, keep I mean, going. Go ahead. Well, I was going to ask you. Well, go finish your point. Okay, so I think it's possible that her interactions, whoever whoever inspired her to go in this direction. It was a particular nun. It was? Yeah. You know that for sure? Yeah. I think that it's possible that that person was like a real kick-ass nun. Yeah. First I, of all. Yeah. Second of all, I think, you know, I when people look at my job, like so when a lobbyist looks at me, I'm sure they say, why are you doing that? You make pennies compared to what I make, and, and you're, you're like so, a generalized reporter. Is your yeah, job. yeah, yeah, and and you, you know, and you have to be such like a whimpering little gnat flying around the heads of these powerful people. <laughs> Why would you ever want to do that? You never know as much as I know. You know, I can I can picture a lobbyist saying that to me, thinking that about me. 
but Wait a minute. Let's back the train. Well, up well, well let me let me finish my thought. All all that is to say, I'm sorry if I'm blowing out your microphone, no, but you're not. all that is to say that I think that people who don't want to be a reporter only see the freedoms I'm giving up to be a reporter. People, similarly, I think like when I look at a nun, I might see all the freedoms she's giving up, but she probably sees it as like, look at all the things that she's freed up to do. She yeah. doesn't have to worry about supporting a family. Yeah. She doesn't have to worry about making a mortgage. She can outsource that to her order and just think about doing something she really likes doing, which might be, you know, helping people. You know, May, this is why I had you on, because this is sort of the things I was thinking about. Why, th yeah, I see that other angle. I, I didn't, you put it much more succinctly than I was thinking about it, but yeah, there's this freedom now, because I was thinking about this, sometimes I see these nuns, they go and they have their breakfast, and you can see it from one of the windows. They're always You can there. watch them eating? Yeah, it's kind of cute. Whoa. Like, there's little tables, and they're down there in the cafeteria, and they have their little ritual. It's like, oh, there must be something like, nice about not having to worry about all that stuff. But let me backtrack to the reporter thing and the nun thing, because number one, the reporter thing is at the end of the day, you go to sleep. I would hope so, just like the work I used to do as a union organizer or as a nurse. Now I go, I sleep and I say, mm, I'm doing something good to move the needle forward for humanity and do something good for mankind. Right. Um, and I would, hopefully that's what most reporters are doing. Now this lobbyist guy, he's, for most of them, unless they're lobbying for causes I'm sympathetic to, and those lobbyists actually <laughs> are sometimes not paid very well, um, they are, they're most likely uh, sleeping well at night, honestly, but, you or I could not do that job and sleep on it, like sleep well at night. We would be. I don't you, agree with that, but. Well, I couldn't. So, that's because you're a very virtuous. Man, well, so but what? I am not. So you, so you could go and lobby for a cause that you disagreed with just for the money. I'm sure I could. Yeah. Oh, that's. I don't believe that. I don't know. All it would take would would be another compromise in my life. If something else in my life were compromised and I felt like that was necessary, I would do it. I mean, we all make compromises. I wanted to have the dictatorship of the proletariat and thought that unions were okay, <laughs> you know, you know, and not just like uh, blood in the streets. I mean, I'm sort of kidding there, but I mean, so of, of course there's uh, levels of compromise, but um, that you're opening a whole ball of wax. Okay, like sorry. To, but um, <laughs> I still don't believe, believe you on that, but um, the, uh, she's not working for a good organization, although she's free to do some good things. Okay. This is a this is an this organization. Is, maybe now maybe she has not thought about this, and maybe there haven't been people in her life like me to say this is an organization that has covered up for decades pedophilia. This is an organization that not only has covered it up, but there's that priest in uh, Mexico that Pope John Paul uh, elevated to a higher status during his tenure, while this guy was raping uh, young kids raped his own children, was doing drugs and all that stuff, which that's not, I don't really necessarily have a problem with that, but he was enriching himself and, you know. With the drugs. You don't have yeah. a problem with the drugs. No, You're not a fan of raping your own kids. I'm obviously, yeah, okay, yeah. Let's, let's get, get Paul R. Cooley on the record about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. Um, so am I being too hard on, uh, I'm not even being hard on her. I, I, I think there's something, well, we, we covered this, but I do think, it is strange that in 2014 people are choosing this lifestyle and to me it's sad it saddens me that there's not a secular way for her to do these type of things yeah 
that she can't. I think that's interesting. She can't be a peace worker or yeah. um, because I bet if we, if she's sitting here, she would probably believe most of the things you and I believe. Although you would sell, um, you know, your family uh, to a uh, Nazi concentration camp to compromise uh, financial gain in the future. <laughs> <laughs> she probably wouldn't agree with that, but I'd be on board with it. Um, <laughs> um, but, you know, she she would probably say, oh, all those things are horrible, but what, you have to have, uh, you have to have faith or, or almost selfish reason, probably, right? That it's... Gosh, I don't know. You're, you cannot possibly be comfortable making that kind of statement about her without checking it, right? Like, you don't, you don't actually feel comfortable making that assumption. Making what assumption? Which assumption did I make? That there's something wrong with the person? Yeah. Well, um, th- well, the, the problem is, is she's very normal. So <laughs> my, I, I, my starting point is that, sh- that someone is not normal, and they have, oh. if they're this young, that they would do that. Oh. And so. What if they're just really exceptional? What if they're exceptionally idealistic, as are you? And exceptionally but motivated, not... as are you. And they think that, and he or she thinks she can, he or she can change the institution a little bit from yeah. within, yeah. in his or her corner. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good point. That's a good point. Okay, this next part with uh, May makes me sound like I'm uh, Jesus Christ or super moral, and I'm just very opinionated. And frankly, anybody that's ever been on this show as a guest is usually probably has more moral values than myself. Um, with the exception of Josh Ferris. Um, hi, Josh. And um, I'm sure if uh, May would be more likely to stop and help an old grandmother across the street than me because I'm very impatient. So um, just, uh, I know I sound the high and mighty here, but, uh, well, I'm not. All right. Okay, so um, just make sure you're close to the mic, okay? Now... Was I too far away last time? I don't know if you were or not, but yeah, that's good right there. Right here. So, you're in a current job, and you were saying earlier that you, you know, you're a reporter, May, wit, and um, you said something to the effect of you could see yourself being a lobbyist, or, you know, you, you don't have, you, you lied to me, basically. You said that um, you would be willing to be a lobbyist you'd be willing to work for a cause that you didn't necessarily be- necessarily believe in even though you're doing like low paid um well not low paid but not really high paid um tough nitty-gritty good uh journalism work and this thought crosses your mind that oh maybe i could be a lobbyist and just make uh, some decent money just for what the, my future and my family well i didn't say it would be money motivated but i did say that there would be something that might motivate me too like what Okay, well, a, lot, a bunch of things. Like a family member is gravely ill and you don't have enough money. I mean, like yeah, could, like money. Yeah, but, but also like, it could anybody, be but that's a gun to the head. You gotta throw those ones out. That doesn't count. Because... So lobbyists have resources that reporters don't always have. So they end up learning more sometimes about the institution than a motivated reporter who doesn't have the same tutelage. And you're learning that for the purposes of just... Tutelage the right word? Like, I guess. But you're learning that just for the purposes of learning it? Yeah. Why? Just because out of own um, complete, unattached curiosity that's not going to contribute to a better world? Yeah. I mean, I'm not like sure that reporters... Like for your own entertainment values? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. That's like saying, hold on, this is this doesn't make sense to me. That's like saying when I was a union organizer, I would, um, we would, uh, there'd be the boss campaign and the workers would campaign and I would be organizing the workers. It's like, you know what, it'd be really fascinating to actually be a union buster because I would then get to see their point of view and I would have all kinds of access to see what they do mm -hmm. just for the point of seeing it. Yeah. That's like ridiculous. You don't think that's a rational point of view? You think it's an evil no, point of view? No, no. I mean, it, you're, it's it's like it's like that your job is a like the job. It's like you're neutral. Like it's actually yeah. It's like worse than being the enemy. Wrong. It's worse yeah, than being wrong. Yeah, because it's like just like oh, I want to see how. It's like you have no skin in the game almost. You're just like oh, I did this for a while. Was Reporters aren't sort of... really supposed to have skin in the game. I think reporters are supposed to be searching out the truth and want to have a more democratic society. Bingo. And so there is that skin in the game. My, and my point is that. That's not true. The reporters aren't supposed to have skin in the game. Really? Okay. No. Okay. I, I'm with you there. I think that I understand that point of view as well, but I think. Like, it's what, sorry, you keep thinking that thought. It's almost like what you're telling me, though, is it's just purely an entertainment. Like, you're, well, it's, just, it's just like, you're not looking at the, um... Yeah, I mean, I think about... So, a lot of the things that I do, mm -hmm. I think are more... It's, it's not ideal, but I think that a lot of the things that I do for my job tend to be the result of some calculus, calculation, maybe calculus is too highfalutin, but like some, some, it's some combination of my own comfort with an issue. Oh, so sure. like, yeah. am I comfortable going up to this person and giving yeah. them an interview and yeah. like getting out as much information as I can? Do I know enough about this, about this arena where I know where to look and who right. to ask? And am I entertained by it? Like, am I personally curious well, about it? Well, because you're like that, you're also, that, but that's a factor of like, would the public be entertained by that and interested in that too? Yeah, it's and a that's, factor. So that's, yeah, I, I don't think that's, I mean, um, here's the thing. I think, reason, I just think, I, I, uh, ask me a question because I can't form my thoughts without a so, question. So, okay, so you saying that you would compromise your values or whatever, which you, you would make compromises. Mm -hmm. Um, you could see yourself doing something. I guess you have to have some values. <laughs> yeah, it's possible that I don't have enough values, but it's also possible, Why and this is what I like that? to think. I would like to think that it's not that I have a lack of values. It's that I have a certain amount of humility about, or a certain amount of maybe reality, like an understanding of humility slash realism about the things that make people do the thing that's a little bit less hard. Yeah. And I think that I'm just as likely as anybody else to do the thing. To me, reporting is the hardest thing. Yes. Yeah, I'm so pretty sure you're always failing. I'm pretty sure you're always like looked upon as like that like little annoying thing. Yeah. Well, I used to do the same thing with the union. Right. You know, so I'm, I'm always I just, failing, always losing. So I just want to. A lot of the country hates you and thinks you're a godless communist atheist that wants to destroy the planet right. or whatever. And so yeah, I, I'm with you there. But at least at the end of the day. I, I'm like, no, what we're doing is we're trying to make the world a better place and raise wages up. And, I, you know, I imagine what you get, gets you through is like, I'm just trying to get the story out there and have a more informed, educated society about what's well, happening. But see, that's where it's a little bit more complicated because it's not just that I want to make the world a better place. That's like, that's, that's 
that's almost a small percentage that's of like what I do. That's like social justice talk. Yeah, that's th- yeah, that's but that's a small piece of what of what it is. It's also that I'm like so enamored by the culture of reporting, like the people and the mores of the reporting world are is like it's like the most intoxicating thing. Oh, like you're really into it. Yeah. Okay. Like like you know semi like like let's have beers with a hard crusty oh, editor okay. and yeah, I'll yeah, like yeah. I'll never leave. I'll just be right. so jazzed to do well, that. That's that's and fine. that is pro- so that's that's attractive to me. You know, the action of doing it is on a good day very attractive to me. Yeah, like and you get a high very from enticing. It. Yeah. That's pretty intoxicating. So there are a lot of things, but you know, it's 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 also possible that that gets really old. It's also possible that the culture gets so rotten. Are you so talking yourself into? Rotten. Are you talking yourself into a lobbying job no. at 35? Is that what you're doing? No, no, I'm not. I just want to understand that, like, hey, if you keep compl- like, I just I just want to remind myself, and every once in a while I try to that, like, you know, yeah, you can complain about your job, but the alternative, unless you do something radical to change your life, the alternative is you're just going to be on the other side. Do you like the way that looks? And hopefully that's horrifying well, enough to me that well, I don't could, like the way it looks. You could be something neutral like PR or something. That's not neutral. That's really bad. I mean, to me. Well, not if it's for... Um... You're learning less than... You're learning less as a spokesman than you are as a lobbyist, okay. and that sucks. Okay, I see what you mean in the sense of, like, your own personal maturation and growth as, like, a whatever, per, you know, yeah. reporter. But it's not neutral if you're writing, is what I would say, you're going to hate this word, but if you're, like, writing propaganda for an environmental group or a union or a um, pro-choice organization, that in in the... For, Journalism, it's obviously... You're not making the deal. You're just writing about it kind of thing. You're... Like, if you're writing like... Yeah, like, obviously, it's it's taking a step back for for your own journalist development, mm-hmm. but for the grand scheme of world history or something, <laughs> you're doing something good, um, and it's probably actually going to be very boring. You're now more in the activist agent of change type thing than yeah. just kind of like the supposed neutral uh, person. Okay, um, we kind of kept going in circles there so we're going to finish up with may and get back to anthony but i think me and may were talking about two different things i'm talking about values and what drives our career why we chose the career we wanted to do originally union organizing that nursing for me um and maybe i'll do public health nursing at some point who knows may it was more about what she's interested in but i still think she's kind of lying i still think there's some values there of why she chose to be um and get into journalism but you know and there's nothing wrong if doing something you know nobody's right or wrong here if you're doing something because you're super interested in it, which is a combination, I guess, of the factors of why people do what they do. Um, it's not just one or the other. Uh, frankly, if you're interested in making headphones, uh, to me, that's one of the highest values of uh, all of labor. And um, uh, <laughs> what am I trying to say? I like audio equipment. And if you can make good quality headphones or microphones for that matter, um, all the more power to you. And that's better for humanity in my opinion um now i mentioned part of the conversation that's going to take place here with me and may is that i mentioned that i had a friend that used to be a union organizer not a friend just a co-worker she then went to go work for an insurance company and i considered that like uh you know a very bad horrible thing to do to then work for a for-profit insurance company that's going to deny people you know health care i'm against insurance companies you know all that stuff So, just to put it in context, when she mentions that this person that went to go work for the insurance company, I consider sort of a 
bad choice, evil. I mean, I don't know. I'm sounding high and mighty here, but uh, I'm only as God made me. I'm going to make an observation. Am I close enough to the mic? Yeah. I'm going to make an observation. You are very self-motivated. You've, you've made at least one hard turn in your career. That's something that only somebody that somebody makes only if they're very self-motivated. No, and people do that all the time because they're forced to by the economy today. No one stays in the same job. They have to switch. So that's, okay. I'm not, not unique. Well, I think I think it's unique to take a job that is as difficult as your job and to Fair study enough. for it yeah. when you're you were in your 20, mid to late 20s. 20, yeah. Late 20s. I think that's I think that that shows a certain amount of self-motivation. And also, you have all these. You have all these interests, and um, I love this praise, and I, I love it. You but, have all these but, but interests honestly, that somebody <laughs> only pursues if they are like yearning for something, and and I think what, what what intrigues me about the woman who you said went to work for the insurance company, and you compared her to IBM working for the Nazis is. Some people don't. <laughs> Some people. No, no, no. I am like that woman because if somebody doesn't make me do the hard thing, I'm not going to do it. You will do the hard thing because you're like, well, that's where it's interesting. That's where things get interesting is when I'm forced to do the hard thing and I'm going to force myself. You run marathons and you do no, all of these things. Here's the I'm thing. not forced to, but if I go work for somebody, they'll force me to do the interesting thing and then I'll be interested. No, but you, you, well, why? We've had this conversation before and I oh. think what, what the, the language that we're not. That we're both talking about two different things. You're talking about values. You're and I'm talking, talking about curiosity. You're talking about individual um, interests and what you do from like nine to five is sort of, it has to be interesting to you and all that stuff. And I'm more talking mm. about at the end of the day, what I do. You matters. can't compartmentalize what you do nine to because five. Because honestly, it's some days when I worked for the union, I just drove around in a car for 10 hours. Yeah. It was horrible. It was extremely boring. I lived in really shitty hotels. Yeah. Um, and I did not love that work. I didn't love uh, eating out all the time. I mean, at first a couple years it was okay, but I gained like some weight and, unhealthy um in nursing i don't like putting bedpans under people and all that stuff and you know i'm still trying to educate myself and grow on my you know um grow in my nursing career but uh it's more about at the end of the day right. to me and so that's where yeah you're you take the about, long view and yeah. i'm like day by day i i i'm not motivated i guess uh, so that's the difference in motivation for us i think i'm not motivated by like necessarily the long term Maybe. Yeah, Maybe yeah. that's the difference. Yeah. So you think, um, so you would... I tried, I tried I, to I pick... I don't believe that you really? don't, because why would you pick journal... Just because it's so fascinating. That's your argument. I believe that, I guess. Yeah. You just, because it's so interesting. And it would force me to do something that was really hard for me to do, which was talk to people. So if you, if you had, uh, if the DNA molecules fell a certain way and you, you thought that, like, um shale and oil were interesting you could easily see yourself uh working for bp off the coast of uh whatever and doing stuff for them or working for marcella shale company or something like that you feel like your values are almost Fun. you're saying this almost neutral that just the the job itself uh would satisfy your, your i'm not saying that's true now i'm saying that i can appreciate a time when that might be true it's a non-answer i don't believe it's like you. a pretty evasive answer yeah well i'm tired of that <laughs> Okay. All right. Well, um, we're going to have to follow this up later because I, I got more questions. I have to listen to this. Yeah. I'm coming back. <laughs> I'm coming back. All right. Thank you, May Witt. Thank you. All right. Okay. I'm going to have to have her back on and really grill her because I think I left her off the hook. 
let her off the hook a little bit. Um, but let's get back to Anthony and um, architecture. Um, do you get a real satisfaction, kind of going back to the before, do you get a real satisfaction about like building things and sort of uh, being the uh, creator or like the sort of cook? I kind of want to talk a little bit about food for a second, too. Is that like a big kind of thing with you? I like acquiring new skills. And like to the extent that things I finish are like proof of a new skill, mm -hmm. I like that. But like I don't like, I have a real problem going back and doing something I've already done. And that's probably something I should get over if I want to have a you know sustained career in something but oh like practice makes perfect and I need to do this again yeah, and, like, and the, you know, the monotony of yeah like when I when I learned like I learned to juggle like five years ago I'm like I'm gonna learn to juggle so you I spent a lot of time learning to juggle once I did it did a couple like yeah you know, two hands to one hand all that crap and like okay I can do it and I just put them away and never yeah. pick them up again I'm sort of the same way with uh, I when I write songs I I do one takes and I like it and then I'm like, oh, I'm going to build on that again. But then I get bored with it. And I'm just like, oh, that song could actually be pretty good. I could maybe. But I just don't want to go and rehash. And it kind of loses the magic for me. I mean, it's a little bit of a different thing. But the same idea of like kind of doing the same thing over again, you know. Yeah. Um, do you think, um, you? I'm sure everyone has asked you this. And this is probably a thing in uh, architecture school or whatever. But um, is architecture and building things, do you think it is more of a art or a science? I don't really think it's either. I think it's more of like a craft. I mean, it's something that you just, it's, there's a bunch of like set standards and ways of practice and you mm -hmm. just kind of do it. And you know, it evolves and it becomes specific to you. But ultimately it's, you know, the same thing. It's very similar to what I'm doing now. I would equate it more like building furniture. Like right. there are certain techniques and I think it's closer to that than it is to art mm -hmm. and Right. Um, science. I mean, de depending on the architect, you know, it's going to veer one way or more or the other. Like, right. So, like, if th what I'm doing now is sort of in the middle, there's more technical a aspects and then more yeah. artistic aspects. I mean, it has the potential to be pulled to either side, but and the old fundamentally, it's a craft. Yeah, and some of the uh, some of like the real flowery. Or I don't want to say flowery, but. Um, kind of crazy large building that are more artsy that's like is that even architecture at a certain point that's like an artist that like tells somebody like this is what I think I want to do and well I think the architecture is what makes those sculptural looking buildings which I'm assuming you're talking yeah. about like yeah, Frank Gehry's work and mm -hmm. Bill Bauer LA I think that's what makes those buildings you know what they it's the architecture that makes those things buildings like that you know because even underneath the you know those swooping metal yeah, facades yeah. at the opera house in L.A. There's still a functioning right room that people sit in and people play music in. Like um, I'm thinking about the one building in Prague, where it's like kind of curved. You know what I mean? Yeah, you've been to Prague, right? No. Okay. Well, but you know about buildings in I Prague. I mean, I've been to Prague. Yeah, okay, in your head. <laughs> but um, there's like a building that's like curved and it's yeah, got I know like what you're talking about. yeah and um. You know, I, I think if I was like somebody that I'd be like, wh you're, why do we want to make this? This is going to be, s how are we going to do this? Like, that would be kind of frustrating to me. But like the team of people that was working with him, 
Yeah. And I think that's sort of an interesting case because what allowed those those really sculptural, artistic forms to happen is a, a hyper-technical approach to the problem. Like, these are people who are really advanced on the technical side mm-hmm. and were able to do these incredibly sculptural things. So... They didn't have they didn't necessarily they didn't have the creativity or the idea to do that, but then they're like, oh, this is the problem. How are we going to do this? And they sort of like r- are really into like the technical aspect of like making this a safe and structurally sound. Building. Yeah, I mean, there I mean, I think th- and there were people involved with those projects who were doing both, who were like sort of pushing the technical, but also the ones that sort of like came yeah. up with those sculptural forms. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I think there's I mean, wh- whatever you know you may think about those forms, they're really. An interesting. Oh, I think they're cool. I think they're awesome looking for architecture. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you have any uh, recommendations or uh, books that uh, for the, the the casual design fan that you would say this is this book changed my life? Well, I don't know about changed my life. You know, or I don't know. It's not. I mean, there's no Shins equivalent of Shins. What do you mean? Like that movie with Natalie Portman and Zach Braff, Garden State. Oh yeah. The headphones like that Shin song. Yeah, that yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. I, mean, I just you saw that movie. Can't say change your life without that coming to mind. Now. Yeah. Well, that was a decent movie. It was. It was okay. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't that good. Um, um oh. I don't know. I think it's hard to. Or movies. Documentaries. Um, I think. I think. I, I mean, think the you know. Um, Falling Water Rising, the one I mentioned earlier mm-hmm. by Frank Toker. I mean, having spent so much time in Pittsburgh, you would definitely okay. enjoy that book. I mean, it's really well done. I mean, he goes everything. He has a chapter devoted to the geology of oh, okay. the site. Like, yeah, why yeah. this site is the site that it is. Yeah, okay. And it goes through all of, you know, their personal relationships. So it's got, a, you know, some, some like, historical drama and all this other stuff. It's, it's really Oh, and there's the whole, like, the murder, right? Wasn't there a murder... His son was murdered, or oh. family. No, I don't know. Frank Lloyd Wright's. Um, oh, that stuff. I'm not sure how much that gets in that book. Yeah, but there is but that yeah. history with Frank Lloyd Wright and bad stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, I think this is a good conversation. Any uh, any thoughts about um, design or architecture that you'd like to say to to uh, promote this or to the to our fans? No, not really. Do you still think uh, Legos are a good thing? Legos are a great thing, except they are getting a little, a little too specific. The pieces I think are becoming more, like yeah. unusable. I mean, I guess they're actually. I mean, I guess they probably could be used, but it yet to be. It sort of requires more creativity for a little kid to use these. They want you to make pieces. these things. Yeah. I, I see, I don't remember like you were talking about before with the kind of the cookie cutter. This is what you build, and there mm-hmm. was probably a map. I just remember maybe because my parents were cheap and they just like got random. Legos. There was never an idea of like this is what you do. Yeah, I mean, I think there could be like some sort of unintentional consequence of having these really specific pieces by like getting the really smart, creative kids to like try to find a way to really hack these really specific pieces and make something really like interesting and cool. Like, um, this is this is a design to build a house, and it's like you need to build a whale with this. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Like top Lego builder content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you ever been to Legoland? No. All right. Well, that's Legoland. No, I haven't. I haven't. Um, I just remember uh, this is a lot about Legos, but um, if you didn't clean up the Legos and you're rolling around on the floor, they would really hurt when you would like. Yeah, it would hurt, but it almost be a good hurt. 
All right, that's a great place to end the show. All right, thank you, Anthony. Okay, thank you, Anthony. Thank you, May Witt. Um, and I also wanted to thank Matt for helping me during the marathon. He showed up. That was a lot of inspiration. Helped me run a little faster. And I'm also thinking of my friend Samer. i uh, sorry for your loss. Thinking of you. Okay, hope you guys enjoyed the show. We will never have one this long again. Facebook at facebook.com slash PRC show or follow us on Tumblr at prcshow.tumblr.com. All of these episodes can be found at soundcloud.com slash PRC show. Your host is Paul Robert Cooley Jr. Technological consultant, sound design, host curation, and music production is also by Paul Robert Cooley. Emotional support brought to you by the roommates of Salvador and Kate G. Executive producer Josh Ferris. All labors donated. Thanks for listening. <laughs>